Hello, and welcome to The Quantum Divide. This is the podcast that talks about the literal divide between classical IT and quantum technology, and the fact that these two domains need to become closer together. Quantum networking actually is more futuristic than perhaps the computing element of it, but we're going to try and focus on that domain. But we're bound to experience many different tangents, both in podcast topics and conversation as we go on. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to The Quantum Divide. In this episode, I'm pretty excited because we're taking a step away into some of the applications, specifically one of the applications uh, relevant in, with quantum computing. I've got here with me Carmen Recio from Spain, who works for Moody's Analytics. I'm very excited to dive into some of the aspects of the way quantum computing is relevant in the financial sector and risk management and so on. So let's get started straight away, I think. Carmen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. Great. Let's start with an intro. This is the, the standard podcast format, right? If you could give us a bit of a view on your path into quantum, perhaps through your education and so on, and then how you ended up at Moody's. Great to hear the story. Thanks. Okay, yeah, thank you so much for the question. So actually, when I was studying, there was no formal education in quantum computing. So my path is that of many of the people who are working in quantum computing today. Actually, I studied mathematics in university, and then after, right after university, I joined IBM. But I didn't join the quantum department. I joined the AI hardware department. And I was working as a data scientist for some years, but then one day I went to a lecture and I discovered that quantum was something that IBM was doing too. And I didn't even know that existed, that a kind of computing that was based in quantum mechanics, but it got me excited. And so I asked if I could do something about it. And at the time, the only thing you could do working in IBM from Spain was becoming part of a team that was like a team of evangelists. Uh, but it still was very cool because you got trained by the researchers working in the technology. So that's how I first got into quantum. And I loved it so much that after a couple of years being an evangelist, I decided I wanted that to be my full-time job. And I had also been involved a lot in community uh, activities, not just with quantum computing, but also with AI. But thanks to my engagement with technical communities, where we did meetups for external people, student communities that were interested in learning about new technologies, I got to meet the team inside IBM Quantum that was in charge of outreach, education, and community building. And we organized the first hackathon on Qiskit Hackathon. Qiskit is the framework of IBM. We organized the first hackathon that had ever happened in Europe, and it was in Madrid. It was not only because of me, but because of many of the people working in Qiskit are actually Spanish too. <laughs> That's a curiosity. So after meeting that team, I told them that I would eventually like to work full-time in quantum. And then at some point, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to move to Zurich and join the research lab that IBM had here. And I spent there a couple of years working in outreach, community education, but also part-time with the group working in uh, applications. 
concretely Stefan Werner's group that was working in more specifically at the time the team was divided like in two big areas and Stefan's part of the work of the group was uh, working on optimization machine learning and financial applications of quantum computing and this is how I got into quantum finance and after some time I changed roles and I and also companies and I joined Sergio Gago's team in Moody's to take on a new challenge and change from a company that was on the offering side of quantum to a company that was in the application side of quantum. And I was very excited to take on that challenge in order to see another dimension of quantum computing, which in this case are applications in the financial sector. Fantastic. Data science. So it must be some interesting way of applying that to, or applying quantum to solving problems in data science, right? Or at least tackling, tackling problems. Yeah, wh why don't you give us an idea on some of the challenges that you see if there's some kind of general problem sets that you get uh, with financial organizations or financial data that you think uh, quantum would be relevant for? Actually, there are many good studies on that topic. Concretely, there is a survey of quantum computing use cases in finance that was published early in 2022. And there, Marco Pistoia and other researchers were the first to classify what are the, the three big areas that we find the problem categories in, in finance where we potentially will have some advantage from quantum. And these three areas are stochastic modeling, in which you find classical problems as derivative pricing or um, risk analysis. Then you have a second area, which is optimization. So anything that has to do with optimization that is a category that is common to many fields, but also to the field of finance, like a very well-known example is portfolio optimization. And the last one would be machine learning with all the things that you may want to do, anomaly detection for financial crime and well, other examples like risk clustering. There are many, but right now what we are working on and what we want to guide our clients or work with our, together with our clients in is basically three key areas. So the first one would be post-quantum cryptography because quantum computing, as most of the people know, probably also in the audience, represents also a threat. It's both a threat and an opportunity, but we have to look at both sides. So this is why uh, we are working on achieving crypto agility and creating a strategy uh, so that we can keep our data and our customers' data and our communication channels secured but in order to prepare to Y2Q, that it's the moment, the day, when a quantum computing be, will be able to break encryption. So that's the first thing. And here we, we do this internally for ourselves, but we also have, have been working with different companies in the financial sector to guide them and to also share our, our advice, but also hear about their thoughts on how to implement this post-quantum cryptography strategy so that ideally all the companies are quantum secure. Um, the second thing that we are doing also with clients uh, and also internally is uh, we have a whole uh, portfolio of analytical tools um, to provide financial intelligence and ultimately help business leaders make uh, better decisions. And 
So what we are doing is understanding where quantum can disrupt our products, which means inside of our products, uh, we have underlying there are a lot of problems and therefore some of these problems potentially could be enhanced or could be solved more efficiently with quantum. Not all of them, not always quantum will be the answer. And sometimes the quantum advantage that quantum can bring is not necessary, but we have to find these sweet spots where there's a real business need for some improvement and where quantum can provide that improvement. So for that, we're working with the classical teams that have products for the banking sector, for the insurance sector, and trying to analyze what are the real business needs and the bottlenecks potentially where quantum can help. So when we find a promising use case, whether for a client or for one of our operational units, what we do is we focus in that uh, use case and we do proof of concept after this use case discovery and benchmark different quantum techniques in order to understand whether that will be the most promising one, maybe in the future, maybe the technology is not available there, but we need to understand if it's promising or if we should explore some other technique. And then the third one where we are also engaging not just with clients, but also with academia, open communities, as I told you in my career path, these kind of communities were very relevant. So we are engaging with the community, with the technical community around quantum computing and generating thought leadership. So this is why we are writing articles so that we can translate the research from quantum scientists to uh, the people working in the financial industry. Uh, we have also done a research report to understand what's the status of the preparedness in the financial services sector. We are working in designing training materials, also collaborating with uh, student groups or universities that have a program that is focusing quantum uh, science or quantum engineering. And some we have a lot of examples of that, but uh, we try to publish everything we do so that it's open for everyone. Uh, to, that want to learn about it. And we also try to engage in the activities that uh, are related to these student communities or master programs at university. So many uh, fascinating topics. I think we're going to dive into a few of them uh, during this podcast. Why don't we start with the report? I understand that Moody's Analytics released a report, Quantum Computing and Financial Services Business Leaders Guide. Uh, could you give us a quick walkthrough of, of what that is? And then we'll put the link in the show notes for people to go and read this. But what's the purpose of this report? And what's a kind of executive summary that it concludes? I know that there's some various contributors from different customers or companies out there. And you also talk about classical bottlenecks and so on. So it'd be great to just hear through that. Okay. Thank you so much about, and for that question, Dan. So actually, this was a very interesting report because what we had seen is that all previous reports that were out there that focus in the status of quantum computing in the financial industry, the contributors or the respondents uh, always came from the same group of companies that we already know uh, are working in quantum computing. But our approach was different. We really wanted to have a more unbiased overview on what is going on in the financial ser services sector. And this is why we interviewed 200 analytics innovation leaders in both financial services and banking firms. 
And we also had six uh, contributors that um, contributed to the qualitative part of the report that uh, are experts in quantum computing uh, from different companies like um, IBM, uh, Capgemini's Quantum Lab, um, Oracle, and so on. You can find all the details in the report. And the findings of the research were actually very different from all other reports that we had seen before. What was one of the most impacting outcomes or findings of this report were that uh, almost 87% of the financial firms are under, are under investing in quantum computing, lacking any, any kind of budget. Also, it was clear that there's a lack of training um, because almost near three quarters of the respondents um, were not sure where quantum can bring a real commercial advantage. And this means that there's a lot of work to do and that there is a gap between the literature and the academic sector working in, in the algorithms and the end users, the ones that have the applications. They really don't know yet where is the real commercial advantage. And that's something on us. Another thing, well, another interesting finding was that uh, almost half of, or a little bit more than half of the respondents uh, saw quantum both as a threat and an opportunity, um, as a threat in terms of the threat that it represents to cybersecurity. And another interesting fact about the report was that we also asked about what were the use cases that they saw as more promising, and some of which were risk analysis, uh, cybersecurity, stress testing, synthetic data generation, and uh, some that have to do with machine learning, detection of fraud or money laundering. And also talking about this threat that the respondents identified in quantum, nevertheless, even if they thought that it was a threat, 86% of the organizations that we interviewed stated that they don't feel they are ready for a post-quantum cybersecurity. And 84% of those foresee that they will need to be in the next two to five years. I would say that these findings, lead, in summary, point out that there is a lack of training, there is a lack of awareness and preparedness on how to get quantum ready and where quantum can provide a quantum advantage, commercial advantage for these companies. So this gives, gives us some homework. So we have to keep doing thought leadership. We have to work on training people working in the financial services sector. And we also need to work with our clients in order to help them design a quantum strategy. Very nice. Yeah, uh, my understanding, and it's not a very well-educated one on the financial sector, is that it's, a lot of, it's based a lot around risk management. Yeah. And I suspect in the back end, there's a huge amount of complicated algorithms and systems which are doing a lot of this in an automated way. I know Moody's Analytics has a great focus on risk management and you provide risk management services to financial sector and other sectors in the industry. Specifically with risk management, how does quantum apply? Is, is it one of the use cases or does it, is it a more a broader um, topic? Does it include the business risk as well as financial risk and another thing, operational risk and so on? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And when we are talking about risk management, there are many problems underneath that you need to solve in order to be able to manage all the kinds of risk that a business may face. And in the end, what you want is an aggregated view of risk. So you don't want to look at each kind of risk separately, but you want to have you have want to have an aggregated view of that and how each kind of risk influences influences each other. So some of actually it's not that different. The, the, the three categories of problems that we're looking at are again the same that are that I talked about in the beginning. So there's a lot of modeling and simulation tasks that we may want to speed up or do more accurately. There are a lot of optimization problems underneath as well. And there is also machine learning techniques that could potentially be enhanced with some quantum subroutines in the algorithms. So I would say that the problem categories are the same. It's just about the concrete instance of the problem that you look at. As you're speaking, I thought about something. So when it comes to looking at clients' problems and thinking about how to work with a client, I can imagine that it's not a, this, this type of consulting and looking at these new problems or looking at old problems in a new way using quantum. It's, it's not really a structure of how to do that. So I can imagine clients don't really know what they want yet when it comes to quantum. Is that what you see as well? Or they come with a specific problem to solve already? Or how does the interaction usually go? I would say that we have a lot to, uh, to learn uh, from our clients and actually they are the ones who can give us advice on what are the real business needs. So the same way we need researchers that are experts in quantum algorithms trying to speed up certain computational tasks, we also need these clients that day to day applying the algorithms and using them to get information that is useful for them. So I would say that the role of the clients here would be more of giving us information on where are the actual bottlenecks and where are the actual business needs so that we that can point us to real world applications that are relevant uh, to the business. So probably there I would see I would say that it's on us to make the right questions, but the answers, it's the clients that have them. Makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. For me, I'm just thinking this kind of business model is so unique and so new. It's uh, I don't know if there's any algorithm to come from client problem to solution. It seems like each client has its own needs and own solution that's unique. Okay, and you said you've come from a point where you had a lot of involvement in community development and organizing these events. Do you still do that today, or is that a big part of your day to day task? Yeah, I could say that once you become part of these communities, you never really leave them. And even though I started in Spain, here I also try to be close to academia. And I'm based in Zurich, and one of the institutions that we collaborate with is the Masters in Quantum Engineering from ETH. And actually, there's a very uh, active uh, student um, association that it's called the Quantum Engineering Commission and we have been collaborating with them so for instance we did a hackathon with them this year where we were one of the sponsors and we proposed a challenge but also 
we shared with them the positions that we have as internships and we ended up hiring as a summer intern one of the students of the master so I would say that, yeah, I'm still involved. Actually, I'm officially still an organizer of a couple of communities in, in Spain, uh, the one in Madrid and the one in Barcelona. And from time to time, we also we, we try to think about what are the activities that we potentially could do with them. Talking about Barcelona, another thing that we did this year was a hackathon as well. And there was IBM at the Institute of Photonic Sciences from Catalonia, Barcelona Supercomputer Center, uh, and also us. So there were these four challenges. So I think that looking at this kind of collaboration, you can see like the, the value these communities can bring because for us, it's a talent pool where we can stay close to the talent of the future and eventually maybe even hire people uh, that we know from those events. But also it's a way to foster open collaboration. And a group that, for example, in Barcelona started as a group of volunteers doing open talks for people who wanted to learn about quantum science ended up three years later in an event that involved some of the most uh, relevant companies want working in quantum computing. And I think that going to an event where you are going to meet researchers from IBM, people, quants from Moody's that will tell you how they are applying quantum computing, researchers from supercomputing center also working in developing algorithms, and people from an institute like the Institute of Photonic Sciences of Catalonia um, is such a unique uh, event and is such a unique um, group of people working together that couldn't happen um, if there wasn't like a live community of people that are enthusiastic about quantum computing. So this is why um, we think it's important to be there. And also I already mentioned that we cannot just uh, wait for quant companies working on quantum computing to develop the use cases that are interesting to us and to our clients if we don't ensure that we are there. So the role of academia and researchers is uh, ensure that progress is based on a strong foundation and our role is to ensure that progress is made on use cases of real world value. So I would say it's very important to, to be there and we have clear what our role is and the value that we can bring to those collaborations. Yeah, I agree. I've been to a couple of those hackathons myself and I always see a huge turnout and a lot of people excited about developing something new. I think most people come without the experience and they learn a lot in the two or three days that the hackathons usually run for. And I think, yeah, you're right. It's the first introduction to quantum computing and then they have the spark that changes their whole trajectory. I think most of the people working in quantum have had that experience in themselves your experience as well and I've had that same moment at some point where you just see this quantum computing and now it's a different uh, mentality different career path that you want yeah and I think without these events it's hard to get that exposure so they're really fruitful I think Carmen if you're using the audience here if you'd like to advertise some of the specific communities in Spain if I was a quantum curious Spanish mathematician or physicist or uh, just anybody in a different field, interested to learn about these things, where would I go and how would I, how would I get involved? If you are in Spain in one of the big cities, then you have Quantum Madrid in Meetup or Quantum Barcelona in Meetup too. 
but actually to make it maybe more international, I would recommend anyone to check out kiskit.org and join their Slack channel because the Kiskit community is um, a community that is super active. They organize open challenges, they organize hackathons, they organize webinars, and everything is open and free access. So this is a great way to meet um, other people enthusiastic about uh, quantum computing. And also, I would say that the Google developer groups are a great uh, resource. They are not focusing on a specific technology usually, but for sure you can also get to know people there. In Germany, I know Push Quantum. In France, Le Lab Quantique, that also organize very exciting events and hackathons. Um, I already mentioned the Quantum Engineering Commission that works um, mostly in Zurich, but also uh, with if you are in Switzerland with other universities from the area. And actually for this hackathon, they invited people from all over the, the world. So there were people from more than 25 universities. So just try to stay tuned uh, and follow these active communities. And eventually you might get an opportunity to collaborate or to join. So Carmen, we were discussing before the podcast about a, a, a new product, a new platform that you already got on the market or you're going to be bringing onto the market and launching very soon. This is a great opportunity to hear a little bit about what you've been up to in terms of benchmarking for uh, algorithms and applications in the finance sector. So give us a view on that, because it sounds like it's, it's something I haven't seen anybody else doing at this point in time. Yeah, indeed, Dan, uh, this is one of our strong focus, and we will have an announcement very soon. What we have decided is that looking at the findings of the report that we saw and how there was a lack of understanding of the commercial value that quantum can bring, and also the integration step uh, was not clear because the learning curve is steep. Companies need to understand how to adapt their problems and which ones they can solve with quantum computing. And also they need to understand whether they can actually bring an, a business value. So that's why benchmarking is a crucial step in the process of um, evaluating which is the way to go, which is the best technique out there to solve a certain problem. So this is why uh, we're working in building a product, that it, a platform, that it's going to be a quantum for finance platform. And what we will do is enable access to quantum and quantum-inspired technologies um, covering the full stack. The idea is that this platform will be problem-centric. So this means that you will define everything around the problem. So let's say that you have decided that portfolio optimization is an important problem that you want to focus on. And you want to understand which is the best uh, technique available or the most promising quantum technique to solve it. But you also want to benchmark that solution to what you have today or what is the state of the art today. So that in that case, what you will do is define different solvers, one that is the state of the art classic solver, and then the also input some quantum inspired or quantum solvers that you want to benchmark against. And you could run the, the execution of solving the same problem 
coming up with the um, optimal combination of weights for the for the assets in your portfolio, for example, and you will run those independently for all of the versions of the solver that you want, for the classical one, for the quantum one that will be executed in a quantum computer, and for the quantum-inspired one that will be executed in a classical high-performance machine, maybe also in some nodes in the cloud. And what you could get is a a graph comparing with the metrics that are relevant to that concrete problem, comparing all the solvers. So this is solving the integration problem. Also, it enables you with benchmarking capabilities. It also solves the problem of accessing multiple quantum hardware providers because the platform has access to many of them and we are taking care of enabling that. And we still cannot announce uh, who our partner is going to be. This will be coming soon. We're going to do a PR about it. But uh, you will have access to some of the -the state-of-the-art quantum and quantum-inspired algorithms that are provided by our algorithm provider. That is going to be our partner for this project. So, yeah, the the thought that goes through my mind is if, if I was a customer and I had a particular problem that I was already trying to solve in a a classical way, or I was solving in a classical way and it was taking an inordinate amount of cost or time, how would I then go about using this platform to test it on the quantum systems that you are enabling? Does it require a services wrap with Moody's or is there some way that it refactors? I guess it's not automatic, but uh, there'd have to be some delicate refactoring of some kind. The effort now is that the platform is going to be uh, problem-centric. so. Ideally, customers, what they will bring is the problems that they are interested to work in. And we will provide the algorithms that they can compare. So we'll see how it goes with this first marketplace of problems and algorithms. And then if a client is interested in doing something more, then we could engage and help them do use case discovery and maybe add more capabilities. Very cool. Thank you. Hey, I'm going to uh, go back to uh, some of your points you mentioned around uh, financial use cases. So I watched this uh, fascinating uh, webinar with uh, with MasterCard, actually, um, called The Quantum Advantage. And they were focusing on um, different use cases. I wondered if I could just bounce a few off you and, and get your perspective. I know you mentioned fraud detection. And um, they also mentioned offer allocation, net settlement challenges hidden flow discovery for identifying stuff moving between different cryptocurrencies and things and settlements across border and so on. I know that Moody Analytics is focusing on a a few different ones. One that I've seen is strategic asset allocation or perhaps optimization of assets. These use cases, they make sense to me on what they're doing with the financial data and assets at a high level, but the actual mystery behind how they operate and how quantum is relevant is a bit of a, a a mystery for me. So if you could uh, talk to that, would be great. Yes, thank you so much for your question. So actually, portfolio optimization is one of the use cases that we are focusing on right now. The way we are approaching it is, you may know that there are different paradigms in quantum computing. We are exploring where we can get advantage in all of them. The first one would be quantum-inspired techniques. And actually, this is a very interesting paradigm because there is no quantum computer here. 
These are techniques that are inspired by how quantum devices work. Um, and part, getting inspired by that, you design uh, and develop new algorithms. So these were techniques that have been there for a long time for the study of quantum many-body physics. But actually, thanks to quantum computing, uh, pushing the limits of uh, people that were working in classical computations have also thought or more clever classical ways of solving uh, specific problems. And one of one of the techniques or one of the fields inside quantum-inspired techniques is tensor networks. And actually, we also had an intern this summer with us that was an expert in tensor networks. She came from the Max Planck Institute in Munich. And she was working in adapting the, the problem of portfolio optimization or strategic asset allocation to tensor networks. So the first thing you have to do is translate your optimization problem where you have an objective function with some constraints, you have to translate that into a Hamiltonian. Afterwards, you need to write the Hamiltonian as a tensor network, and then you are in a, a new kind of world where you have a lot of cool tools that you can uh, try out and study the convergence of different methods, uh, understanding how you can maybe um, optimize them. So this is a whole... Um, direction of research that we are analyzing and one of the promises that these methods have is with classical problems one of the main uh, problems that we have uh, with classical algorithms for optimization is that many times we get stuck in local um, minima or local maximums this means that you are not finding the global optimal solution of the problem but if you are using tensor networks there are certain methods that can ensure convergence so this is one of the promises that we are uh, researching about. And the other one would be uh, speeding up the process of finding the optimal solution. But then this is not the only paradigm that we have in quantum computing. So when you are saying that you are researching how to enhance your algorithms or how to substitute your algorithm with a quantum technique, you need to look at more than one technique. So Quantum Inspire is the first paradigm, but then we're also trying to analyze whether a quantum annealer can help here. And eventually we will also look at variational algorithms for the digital quantum computer paradigm. But right now we are in the first uh, stage where we are researching about tensor networks. Um, we have already started with quantum annealers and in the future, we will also consider um, variational, um, the variational algorithms. Yeah, very interesting. I think it's a, such a novel field and applying machine learning in, in the quantum regime to classical problems is a, it's a wide open field. But I noticed that one of the, the core parts of doing financial predictions or maybe financial estimations relies on Monte Carlo simulations. That's one of the tools that is used, at least in classical sense. And I know there's a quantum analog to Monte Carlo simulation, a quantum Monte Carlo. And I noticed there's a trend now that there was an algorithm released maybe two years ago, three years ago, about a low-depth quantum amplitude estimation that now enables performing Monte Carlo simulation on real devices. Is that something, is that one of the reasons why it's an important problem? Or what do you think about quantum Monte Carlo in general? Is it going to be something we can perform? Yeah, exactly. You were right. Actually, Monte Carlo simulation is one of the tools of the methods that many of our products use underneath, and that is relevant for many business applications. And 
it is a bottleneck in many cases. And the good news is that there is a quantum version that promises a quadratic speedup versus the classical version. Version. So this is why we are also looking at this use case. Uh, we think it's a use case more for the long term, but since it is very rele relevant to us, uh, we cannot lose sight of it. And we have to understand what are the different techniques that are proposed in the literature. And originally, the first algorithm that you can apply in order to speed up quantum Monte Carlo was the canonical version of quantum amplitude estimation. But this first version of the algorithm resulted in very, in very deep circuits, uh, which is bad because the more that we have means that the more operations we have to do. And right now we have a problem with noise. Um, the, one of the things that researchers working in quantum algorithms are trying to do is to make circuits as shallow as possible. And so this is why throughout the years there have been different proposals of the same algorithm, but new versions, like for example, IBM's uh, iterative quantum uh, amplitude estimation or a maximum uh, likelihood quantum amplitude estimation. And more recently, Steven Herbert uh, from Quantinium proposed a new method that is called Fourier quantum Monte Carlo integration. And uh, what it does is that one of the steps that results in many gates, it's uh, abstracted from the, or taken out of the circuit. And what they do is like, they solve that part uh, classically in a clever way. And what they do is they result in many uh, shallower circuits that they can run in parallel. And therefore they are aiming to, to come up with a version of the algorithm that could be executed more in the near term. But again, we think this is a use case that uh, will only be feasible uh, in the long term because probably it will need um, error mitigation or error correction, uh, but it's so relevant that we are still uh, exploring it. And actually the challenge that we proposed in uh, ETH, it's related to this problem. So we gave them uh, the paper of Steven Herbert and other papers, and we let them compare all of the methods and choose which one was the most relevant one. And this also, this kind of strategy of breaking up an algorithm in tasks that can be done in parallel is also one of the things that we need to look at. And if we see that, if we look at the different players, we see that they are trying to solve uh, the orchestration of the different tasks in a workload. So some examples of companies working on that are NVIDIA with NVIDIA CUDA uh, Quantum, Zapata Computing uh, with their orchestra framework, or for example, Covalent. So what they have realized is that uh, quantum computers are just another accelerator in the data center. And therefore we need an efficient software to orchestrate the tasks that we send in parallel to different accelerators, but also to different quantum computers. And then how to gather again the data in order to derive the results that we are interested in. And I will say that the Steven Herbert's uh, Fourier uh, quantum Monte Carlo integration algorithm, it's a great example of um, this kind of uh, algorithm that can be parallelized. Yeah, I think this was a topic that I just noticed is starting to catch traction is parallelization of quantum algorithms. Because if you have many quantum computers, for example, IBM, I'm sure, has maybe 10 to 15 in a single room. Why not make use of them all at the same time and execute 
different parts of the algorithm at once instead of trying to build a huge quantum computer that can do the larger scale uh, circuit executions. Yeah, very interesting. It's fascinating to hear you both talk. Ultimately, you're pushing the boundaries here of, of where we are. First of all, with the software and your algorithms needing something closer to fault tolerance. And then, Stephen, you're talking there about going back to one of our previous podcasts, talking about the need for uh, networking between quantum computers, realizing somehow coordinating, running algorithms on multiple machines. But let me just take a step back and zoom out for a second. There was one other use case that I saw dumbfounded me. If, if we can achieve this, then it, I'm just amazed to know how it work. And that was a recession prediction. We all live in a world where we either suffer or benefit from the macroeconomic kind of uh, events and, and also the economic environment in our countries and, and so on. But how would you predict a recession? I, of course, there are various different signs and signals in different parts of the, the whole financial environment. But I guess, are we talking here about another modeling, set of modeling techniques? Is that really what it is? I'm looking for a pattern across all of the different sets of signals that we can see from the market. So this is a very good question. And actually is one, I would say, is the first um, piece of research that we published. We did this work together with uh, Rigetti Computing and Imperial College. And this is a particularly challenging task because when um, economic recessions are rare events and also there are many variables that can influence a recession. Because they are rare events, the data that we have is usually incomplete, it's noisy and for some countries we even have little or close to no data. So this is why it is such a challenging task. Um, because most statistical models, uh, they rely on the examples of um, past events in order to predict what's going to happen in the future. What we focus on, what their, our research focused on, was comparing the ability uh, of quantum and classical prediction methods in this particular task. So in this case, the role of quantum computing was to augment uh, some machine learning processes uh, that are used. And what we found out is that the, a method that it's called quantum-based signature kernel methods uh, yields some promising initial results in terms of the accuracy and the early recession warning capabilities. So this also indicates that they have potential not only for predicting economic recessions, but also for a time series uh, modeling. So right now we have continued uh, collaborating with Rigetti. The further work that we're focusing on um, is going to assess the, the effectiveness or, uh, in dealing with uh, problems with a higher number of dimensions uh, of features and also to continue to investigate some improvements in the quantum model, uh, the optimization of the execution times and even uh, looking at some quantum error mitigation techniques. So this is what it's going on, and we hope to generate uh, further progress and eventually publish uh, the, the results of our research. I have to say that here our main role uh, has been providing the real use case and the quantum techniques that uh, we have tried out uh, are, have been developed by Rigetti. Yeah, it's, so there's different areas in where quantum computing can apply. There's risk management, that I guess is the focus of Moody's. Do you have any other directions in which you think quantum will make impact? I guess 
the question is a bit general, but it's, and I know that there's things like chemistry and quantum simulation, but maybe these are not something of interest to Moody's or to you at, at the moment, but do you think there's something coming where quantum will make the biggest impact? So yeah, you already gave the answer that I have in my mind uh, because of all the literature and all the recent publications. Uh, the first use case where we expect to see quantum advantage, it's in the original use case that Feynman proposed, right? Like understanding nature better. So simulating, it is to simulate an actual quantum system. But if we had to focus in, on quantum finance, uh, where the systems that we are simulating are not quantum, one of the techniques that we think could be could bring a benefit in the short term are these quantum-inspired techniques that we were talking about. So this is why we are uh, pushing hard on this. Uh, as I said, we had a first person that is an expert in the field, and uh, we are planning uh, to keep pushing that exploration of applications of tensor networks to, to finance. Yeah, I think it's all about exploring at this stage. There's so many things that we didn't discover, especially classical quantum hybrid algorithms, how to leverage a little bit of quantum, a little bit of classical to solve problems that we can solve maybe earlier than later, use a little bit of NISC, a little bit of GPU, who knows? <laughs> so just massaging these problems to a form that we can apply the techniques we know to problems that are important to people. I guess that what comes to that is, is a barrier, right? This is not an easy thing to solve. And therefore, there's definitely a lot of hurdles to overcome on the path to using quantum computers for applications. Then my question is there for what do you see is the biggest challenge to solve before we can start deploying commercial applications to, to use quantum computers? So one of the challenges that was actually found in the report that we did was this lack of understanding of where quantum can bring a commercial advantage. And I would say that it's not an easy task to do this use case discovery. And once you have identified the sweet spots that are promising, you need to map your problem to, to a quantum representation. So you have to transform it in a way that you can apply one of these techniques. So for that, you need the expertise. And the learning curve is steep. The talent pool is scarce. I think one of the challenges that we have is educating the for workforce of tomorrow. And there are many un universities that are doing a great uh, job on that, creating specialized master programs and also engaging with the industry so that they can have some uh, subjects where students are exposed to the real world problems. This is definitely one of the challenges, the lack of education. Another one would be what we already discussed, solving the problem of how to integrate a quantum with other accelerators in the data center and how to orchestrate that in a clever way so that you don't get extra latency from that. And in terms of the technology itself, I would say we are waiting for the hardware to scale, for um, better error mitigation techniques uh, to come and eventually error correction. But there have been some recent breakthroughs in the field that um, are promising. So we are uh, hoping uh, that this will become a reality in the years to come. Thank you very much. 
Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there. But I wanted to say, first of all, that it's fascinating to get a view from a particular uh, application, in this case, the, that's the financial space. I think it, it sheds a different light onto the applicability of quantum for me. And uh, I hope it does the same for our listeners. And in fact, uh, anybody who's listening this far, if, if you think this is a, an effective approach for us on the quantum divide, then feel free to recommend other industries propose. If you think this is a good method, then then drop us a note. It'd be interesting to hear. Uh, we can always tackle some other verticals in the future. In the meantime, let me come back to you, Carmen. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you giving us that technical depth and a uh, great conversation. And I wish you the best of luck at, at Moody's and with the projects and initiatives you've, you're working on at the moment, both inside the company and outside with the communities as well. Thank you so much, Dan and Steven. I really had a lot of fun having here today and it was, it was a great way to start the day. Superb. Thank you. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to the podcast. Quantum networking is such a broad domain, especially considering the breadth of quantum physics and quantum computing, all as an undercurrent, easily to get sucked into. So much is still in the research realm, uh, which can make it really tough for a curious IT guy to know where to start. So hit subscribe or follow me on your podcast platform. And I'll do my best to bring you more prevalent topics in the world of quantum networking. Spread the word, it would really help us out. Mm -hmm.